2: Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in chronological order, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. I'm Richard Wells. And I'm Patrick McGrath. And today we're discussing Shock Treatment, released October 31st, 1981. It was written by Richard O'Brien and Jim Sharman, directed by Sharman, and released by 20th Century Fox. Hello, Patrick. Hey. Patrick is back. We had Patrick for Those Lips, Those Eyes last season.
3: All the way back in 1980. So here I am. with yeah. you again in 1981. <laughs>
2: 43 years later. <laughs> Perfect. Feels like just three years ago we started this podcast. Yeah, only only three. In the early 70s, Richard O'Brien wrote the script for Rocky Horror Picture Show just to pass the time. When it caught the attention of director Jim Sharman, he offered to direct it on stage. It started at a small 60-seat theater but quickly expanded to larger venues. In no time, it jumped the pond to its first U.S. production in Los Angeles, where Lou Adler caught the show and immediately snapped up the theatrical rights. While the film version succeeded in Los Angeles and New York, it failed to draw an audience from the bulk of the nation. Cross-country midnight screenings have maintained a healthy cult following, and it is considered to be the longest-running film release in history. Because it's still running weekly. yeah. Yeah. The story of the original film is about Brad and Janet, who are... Coming home from the uh, the wedding of some friends, right? They're not the ones getting married, and uh, and they're they propose to each other in a graveyard mm-hmm. in Denton, right outside the church. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, then they're driving on the way home. They pop a tire and stop by this creepy house where some Transylvanian transsexuals uh, invite them in and challenge their social mores That's right. and uh, get them to be groovier. naturally sequels were discussed the first was a direct sequel called rocky horror shows his heels tim curry's frankenfurter is resurrected and learns that janet is pregnant with his child brad leaves janet to run away with dr scott but Sharman wasn't totally sold on the story and it was officially dead in the water when tim curry declared zero interest in returning to the character of frankenfurter the next iteration of the script was called the brad and janet show which is much closer to what shock treatment became When Jonathan Adams said he wouldn't come back as Dr. Scott, his character was swapped out for a new character called Bert Schnick. Songs from both shows, His Heels and Brad and Janet, are recycled into shock treatment. I heard somewhere, but I wasn't able to confirm it, that the little black dress was supposed to be a song about what Tim Curry was going to wear when he was resurrected.
3: Mm. Oh, that makes sense.
2: The first film takes place in the fictional town of Denton, but in location scouting for the second installment, serious consideration was given to the actual city of Denton, Texas. Unfortunately, the 1980 Screen Actors Guild strike basically killed any chances this film had of me enjoying it. (laughs) (laughs) The production moved overseas beyond the repercussions of the SAG strike, and in the absence of a suitable American-looking small-town location, the decision was made to set the entire film inside of a television studio. Barry Bostwick was not available to reprise the role of Brad and Susan Sarandon had grown beyond their budget. Amusingly, they went back to Tim Curry who said he was done with Frankenfurter to say, will you play Brad? What? Whoa. Which would have been very strange.
3: Yeah. See, I would not have seen him as Brad, as Brad in this story. No. There's, there's at
2: least two other characters
3: I would have preferred to uh, yeah. prefer
2: well, play. Brad I think does I would
4: almost have, nothing in this entire right, film. Right, it would
2: be a huge waste of Tim Curry.
1: Yeah. yeah. You should play Janet. Exactly. <laughs> yeah.
2: Apparently he let them down easy pretending he couldn't master an American accent when we all know Tim Curry can do literally anything. Jessica Harper was cast as Janet on the strength of her musical turn in De Palma's Phantom of the Paradise and Cliff de Young, who was offered the role of Brad first for Rocky Horror, was brought back in to take it over. So they went to him first and he was not available or said no and it went to Barry Bostwick and now Barry Bostwick wasn't available so they went back to the other guy. Director Sherman has infuriated Rocky Horror fans by insisting that Shock Treatment is neither a prequel nor a sequel, but an equal to the previous film. And a lot of people are very upset about that <laughs> wording.
4: I, I honestly prefer that because it doesn't make sense as either a prequel I or a sequel. I think it makes sense
2: as a sequel. It's just some parts got recast. But otherwise, no, I mean, it does the, not make sense as in a terms sequel. of the character consistency it doesn't make sense no, I agree it, with you there
3: it does not make sense however if you imagine that brad is depressed because of what just happened at the castle right maybe that's it but everything else yeah it's very weird too
2: wacky to be the same o'brien also wrote a third script for the film series called revenge of the old queen janet and frankenfurter's son together Sonny, is now a rock star and heir to the throne of the planet transsexual brad falls to his death while performing a go-go dancing show and his brother blames the Transylvanians for setting him on that path. Obviously, that hasn't been made into anything either. No, yeah.
4: oh, but that's, that, I think that's a better story than this, too. Yeah, I, I uh.
2: would I would rather see that that first version of the sequel script, the uh, Rocky Horror Shows His Heels. The Resurrection. And then this one. But uh, but that's not what the trilogy became. It became a, a duology. Is that what it's called? A pair. A pair, there a, you go. A pair of pictures. In the mid-2000s, Shock Treatment was adapted back to the stage, The stage play of Shock Treatment implies that Cosmo and Nation are actually Riff Raff and Magenta in disguise. (laughs) The film starts with a freeze frame of a smoking man in a shadowed control room with a wall of TVs. All the credits roll by ticker tape style across the bottom of the screen.
4: Once upon a time in a town not far from yours, there lived a real fast guy.
0: His life was fast. His friends were fast. (laughs) Even his food was fast, but he was still not satisfied.
4: He wanted to share his fast philosophy with someone else. A beautiful girl. Trouble was, she was in the arms of another man.
2: The camera backs away from the man through a heart-shaped hole in a billboard that reads Denton, the home of happiness in neon lights. Do you guys recall the last time we saw a neon heart shape on a billboard? Uh, I'm going to go with The Wiz. No.
4: That was my guess. It's
3: a good guess, but no. Is it in some other urban uh, setting?
2: Nope. No. Oh. Tattoo?
4: Honky Tonk Freeway?
2: No, it was a better movie than that. <laughs> it's a horror film.
1: Uh, Bloody Valentine? <laughs> my Bloody Valentine. Oh, perfect.
2: The billboard for Valentine Bluffs. There you go.
1: I just think he wouldn't what, have what, what a <laughs> heart.
2: <laughs> yeah. We see a security guard leaving the smoking man's office and walk through the DTV television studio stage. We keep trading off which worker we're following around the stage. A man rolls open a huge door and hundreds of audience members rush into the studio to take their seats. The first line of dialogue makes a point to emphasize that these last two characters we see taking their seats are in fact Brad and Janet from Rocky Horror Picture Show, previously played by Barry Bostwick and Susan Sarandon, and now by Clifton Young and Jessica Harper.
0: What are we going to do, Janet? It's all right, Brad. Everything's going to be all right.
2: Which I think is a line from the first movie, getting recycled and trading from Brad to Janet.
0: It's all right, Janet.
2: Everything's going to be all right. Oh. The lights go down and the show begins. The camera cranes back up to the billboard heart and a DTV employee will come to know as Neely Pritt rises into frame and sings directly into camera about the great city of Denton.
0: You'll find happy hearts and smiling faces And tolerance for the ethnic races in Denton.
2: Whenever I hear the name Denton, I think of the Mountain Goat song, The Best Ever Death Metal Band out of Denton. (laughs) It's a great song.
4: The Best Ever Death Metal Band out of Denton was a couple of guys who'd been friends since grade school. One was named
0: Cyrus, the other was Jeff, and they practiced twice a week in Jeff's bedroom.
1: I I think of... uh, Walter Denton. Isn't that uh, Bill Murray's character name in Little Shop of Horrors? Oh, That's, yeah. That sounds really familiar yeah. And I'm next, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Does that have an appointment?
2: <laughs> On stage, behind Neely, the word Denton is spelled out in 15-foot block letters. People start singing from inside the letters, and the first two singers, we will learn later, are Janet's parents. Next, we see a cop, two cheerleaders, a man at a desk named Ralph Hapshat, and a woman standing beside a trophy case named Macy Struthers. Ralph Hapshat is weirdly the only character returning from Rocky Horror Picture Show as the same actor. Mm -hmm. He and his wife Betty, who was recast in this film, are the ones getting married at the start of Rocky Horror Picture Show. The camera turns to face the audience who are now singing along. Toward the end of the song, we establish with a single offbeat clap that Brad is confused and weird now. Yes. We cut to a new host, Betty Hapshat, on the set of Denton Dossier with co-host Judge Oliver Wright, played by Charles Gray.
4: So Hapchat is her married name because it was Betty Monroe. right? That's
2: right. Yeah.
3: Mm, nicer yeah. than Betty Monroe had. Yeah.
4: yeah. And you remember who who played Betty Monroe?
3: In that movie? No.
4: Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to be able to remember her name, but she's mm. on the Love It or List It show now.
0: Oh, Whoa. right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
4: she's the host of one of those uh, you know, selling selling your home shows. That's wow. funny.
2: So she's kind of
3: living this this movie now.
2: Yeah, she's on a reality show. Yeah. Benny asks Judge Wright what he thought of the song, and he barely answers the question, I don't understand the point of this segment other than to introduce these characters.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I guess he's... He, he seems to be speaking out against what he's seen. Yes. Because he's like, he's like oh, like, he's just, like, even the spider uses... Or, it's something about luring... Yeah. Like, how he's luring... They're luring people in. But
2: it just seems like he could have been more critical than he was. Like, they didn't give him a firm stance when they, she was like, well, did you like the song? And he's like, yeah, it was all right. It's like then why did I even ask you that question in the script if you didn't have an opinion either way? I
3: think there's a reason why this is the last episode of Denton Dossier. Yeah, no,
2: I I would have canceled it right away. Yeah, exactly. It's very awkward. Neely wanders into the audience and says she's working on a show for the new sponsor, Farley Flavors. Apparently, he's a really big deal. We cut to a commercial for Farley Flavors. I can't tell if it's intentional, but the logo for the company is a ring of F's connected at their stems, and it vaguely resembles a swastika, but we don't get any other imagery like that in the yeah. whole movie. There's nothing else Nazi-esque about this character.
3: No, he winds up talking about politics
2: much later, but that's that's about it. But it, n- none of it seems inherently fascist. It's mm-hmm. just kind of like- Barely, barely. Yeah. yeah, it's just generally evil. Yep. After the Denton dossier has wrapped for the day, she asks Judge Wright to join her for a coffee break, explaining that she and her ex-husband, Ralph, have separated. In the corner, Bert Schnick is made up for the next DTV program. He jumps out in front of a camera to start the show. He has a cane and appears to find his way blindly to the stage. He announces a new show called Faith Factory to ooze and oz from the crowd. Then he introduces Ralph Hapshatt and Macy Struthers, the hosts of the new show. Betty is embarrassed that she didn't recognize their affair sooner. Judge Wright notices and is somehow aware of Brad and Janet Majors in the audience because he sees them on a monitor for an audience shot. He's like, "Oh, isn't that Brad and Janet?" It's like, "Why do you know them? Other than maybe Denton is just the people in this room, and you see them every day."
3: He recognizes them as as being the the the, the last bastions of 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 good and decency.
2: But why are they famous?
3: Like, have they been broadcast anywhere before? He was originally introduced at the beginning of Denton dossier as being Denton's leading primary social scientist, right like yeah that. so maybe so he studied them yeah he studied the whole town i think okay interesting
0: what an ideal couple they are you know more than anyone else in denton they represent the old values ike would have been proud of them
2: <laughs> technically it's possible that he's playing the same character he did in the last film that character was identified as the criminologist just as the judge finishes explaining what a perfect marriage they have bert schnick calls them to the stage to discuss their horrible failed marriage <laughs> right it seems like they didn't know the segment was coming but janet urges him to go along with the scene to avoid the embarrassment of not playing along upstairs farley flavors finally moves out of the shadows of the billboard control room and we see that he's also played by cliff young looking 20s gangstery with a big scar on his cheek bert asks janet to say something mean about brad and she quickly complies uh yes uh he needs help, <laughs> help! Let's face it, Janet. Brad's an emotional cripple. Bert calls Brad an emotional cripple, and Brad is pressured to laugh along with the segment, until Bert brings up a reality show that DTV operates called Dentonvale that takes place in a real hospital overseen by doctors Cosmo and Nation McKinley. He suggests Brad should be sent there, and Janet is pressured to agree. Judge Wright tries to place the names for a moment, but Betty says that they are from Europe. Don't think about it. They're from Europe.
1: Well, she does mention that uh, McKinley is the name of, of a president. Yeah.
2: Mm-mm. Well, she, I think she, that's later that she says that because oh. that's when he goes, oh, former presidents or something like that. He's very excited by that information. He had no idea that McKinley was a president until she said that. <laughs> and shot. Right. Killed. That's right. After the segment, Brad says he's not going, and Janet tells him to just be voluntarily committed to an asylum because it would be embarrassing to go back on their word to the host. To prove that he is clearly insane enough to be locked up, he accidentally knocks over a glass of water clearly mad. Lock him up. Lock him up. Lock him <laughs> up. Brad and Janet sing, argue about it during a commercial break and rhyme their lyrics with products on a nearby TV screen. When things don't quite rhyme well, comically ill-fitting fake product names are substituted, like when Janet refers to an alarm clock as a micro-digital awaker. I love that. <laughs> I love that so much.
0: Micro-digital awaker You know, in the bedroom all night.
3: The, this was the, the the first time, and maybe the only time I will have ever heard of a depilator.
2: Yeah, it was like a blanket that the person had l- over their leg. It's a blanket. The point of
3: it is that it's a it's a uh, it's a cloth that's soaking in hair removal solution. Okay. So a depilator is is a a solution to remove hair, but oh. the, but this specifically is like a uh, a. A a pull a pull tube of of uh, cloth that you would wipe with.
2: Oh, okay, I thought that was like one of those chemicals that you put in your mouth to make you throw up, like a depilator. Oh, to get the it pill, pills you out. Just of your yeah.
1: <laughs> Epicac. Epicac, yeah.
2: One of the commercials is for toothpaste. Do you guys recall the last commercial we saw for toothpaste? Was it Looker? It was Looker. Yeah. Uh, you guys remember the that... brand of the toothpaste? No.
0: Spurt. Spurt
2: toothpaste. <laughs> Ricky from The Rest Home, played by Rick Mayall, is called to the stage and rolls Brad away in a wheelchair. Now we cut to the set of Denton Vale in Brad's POV as doctors Cosmo and Nation introduce themselves. They're played by the previous films Riff Raff and Magenta, Richard O'Brien and Patricia Quinn. Before Brad can state his case, Ricky pokes him with a syringe and he collapses over their desk. Nurse Anselong, played by the first film's Columbia, appears with no pants on under her short nurse's uniform and rolls Brad away. On their way down the hall, Ancelong tells Janet not to sign the paperwork until tomorrow to get an extra night stay at the Dentonville facility for free. Clever trick. Hashtag life hack. She pushes Brad into the terminal facility, and upstairs we see Farley Flavor's eye is twitching as he watches a wall of 24 televisions at once. But they're all playing the same thing. Like, I feel like you could focus on this all right. It's like Frank Cross up there, keeping an eye on the broadcast. Right. Scrooge promo. Yeah. Next, we cut to a show called Marriage Maze, where Janet's parents are the contestants. With only the clues Brad's parents and mental instability, Emily Weiss, her mother, manages to guess infantile regression, the correct answer, and everybody freaks out for some reason.
0: You got it! I got it! She got it! She got it! I got
2: it! Backstage in the McKinley's office, Bert informs the sibling doctors that their show has been sold to Farley Flavors, and Cosmo is upset about it. The camera floats down the hall to the room where Brad has been caged in his wheelchair. It's a rounded cage in a room with padded walls and reminded me of that Sia music video where the dancing kid beats the shit out of Shia LaBeouf. (laughs) 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 Janet sings a song to Brad, but I'm not sure what it's about. It seems like it's a breakup song. She's like, I love you still even though this is happening now. (laughs) It's just like, what's happening now? I don't understand.
3: She doesn't know how to identify with him. That's basically it.
2: Did she in the last movie? Did something change between then and now?
3: Yeah. (laughs) But it just happened off screen and we don't
2: reference it. That's right. She walks the hospital halls until she comes right to the door of her parents' home. She'll stay with them while Brad is in recovery. Out of nowhere and for no apparent reason, her mom says it could be worse. She could have ended up with Danny Slipstrini. Dad objects and says Danny's a good kid, but then learns that Danny was discovered behind a bakery having sex with 15 Mexicans. Mm -hmm. What?
4: But he's mostly upset about the fact that they're Mexican.
3: Yeah, that's what he's...
2: Who is this Danny. Danny Slipstrini. are we going to mention him again?
3: Will we ever see him? Well, Mr. Weiss had just played golf with Danny's father, so he's vouching for him. Like, well, no one I know could ever have... A breakdown. F- have, yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: He was like, I don't have time to have a breakdown, but I don't understand this whole thing about S- Slipstrini. Like, if this character's not going to come back, then why do we mention this?
3: It's just more of the theme of, of repression.
2: I guess. Mom tells Janet that she shouldn't have said that they were Mexicans because her father is a terrible racist. And we hear those words broadcast to the audience who stand and applaud. Who knows why? This movie is outsider art.
0: You shouldn't have said that. Why? Your father doesn't like Mexicans.
2: Do you guys recall the last time that someone was reminded that their father hates Mexicans? Uh, Giant? (laughs) We haven't covered that one yet. No, not yet.
4: It sounds familiar, but I can't place it.
2: It was from Middle Age Crazy. Bruce Dern's dad hated Mexicans Oh boy! and then after he dies they're like at his funeral and they have to stop so that a carload of Mexicans (laughs) can go by and they're like oh my god if he was alive he'd be rolling over in his grave (laughs) we cut to a commercial about lawnmowers and manliness and the audience sings along with Janet's father
4: a man should call the toss wear the pants and be the boss a man should be the drink for his own damn
0: sake. And men should be the misters and the masters of their sisters. A man should be the reason for a heart to break.
2: Backstage we see Bert and the McKinleys having dinner together. Bert pitches Janet as the host of Faith Factory and admits that Farley likes her a lot. In her office, Betty Hapshat receives a letter informing her that the Denton dossier has been canceled. Janet wanders into the dining room and Bert hits play on a TV to show her a video from Farley. He sings a song poorly and the hospital all dance in front of the television. I love the blocking in this
3: scene because the way Farley is recorded on his monitor, he's facing angling at where Janet is seated. Right. He's not looking out in front of the camera. He's looking just to the right of where his lens would be.
2: So to our perspective, it looks like he's looking at her. Yeah. But to her perspective, he's looking slightly off camera. Yeah.
3: It makes it feel like he's watching from the television screen itself. Yeah. When he can't
2: actually see her at all. Right. Can he? (laughs) Maybe. Maybe he's actually this small. Janet bops her head to the song and bites and licks her lips to convey an inexplicable interest in Farley.
0: Well, (laughs) Farley Flavors is fairly
2: flattering she asks to see brad but they all tell her that he hates her and she cries they suggest the best way to help him now is to flourish in the ratings everyone is forced to sleep in the studio overnight for some reason judge wright makes a reference to a samuel taylor coleridge poem but seems to accidentally replace the word dome with home
4: a stately pleasure home indeed
0: oh i adore coleridge taylor
2: do you guys recall the last time we brought up this particular coleridge poem
0: was
4: it in xanadu <laughs>
2: xanadu is oh, the last time we referenced it Perfect. because he says yeah in xanadu yeah. did kubla khan a stately pleasure dome decree in response she quotes a verse from samuel taylor coleridge's the Rime of the ancient mariner do you guys recall the last time we heard this poem recited on the show or paraphrased no someone who quotes a lot of poems in his movie as he leads people around his factory
4: Oh, it's a Willy Wonka. Willy Wonka in oh.
2: the Chocolate Factory. Okay. Bubbles,
4: bubbles everywhere,
0: but not a drop to drink. Yet. That's from? That's that? Yeah.
4: Well, not bubbles.
3: Yeah. He's water perfect. water everywhere. <laughs> okay. Bubbles is even less
2: than water. Don't drink the bubbles. You'll choke. As everyone gets ready for bed, they sing probably my favorite song in the film, which is just a lullaby. In particular, I love Nell's verse of the song.
3: a heap is is another one of the many telltale signs that this is a story being told from a Britishman about America. Sure. Mm. Because a heap is not really a colloquial term in America. It's a British, or even I heard it in, in, in Cool Runnings once also.
1: Mm. <laughs> uh, I just like the... Uh like we're just going from window to window.
3: Yeah, it's all
2: one take,
1: just floating around. Yeah, but but Bert is just like staring out, just staring out at his face. <laughs> just he sitting down. He doesn't
3: sleep the entire night. Yeah, unless he sleeps sitting up.
2: We also get our first indication here that Cosmo and Nation are not who they say they are because boy, do we ever touching them. They're touching each other a lot in bed, but maybe they're just well, that way. Yeah, I was gonna they're say they're from Europe a- <laughs> after all. It doesn't mean anything. right, European <laughs> listeners. <laughs> that's a normal thing. Even the studio audience is still here sleeping in their seats. Evidently, Betty spends the entire night reading Coleridge to Judge Wright until a security guard flips the lights back on in the morning with a dead bird in one hand.
0: Does this bird belong to you?
2: <laughs> what? What? Is, it is this just a, a reference to something that I don't know? I don't or know. is he just holding a dead bird out of nowhere and asking if it's hers?
3: I don't know. I don't know.
2: No where would it have come from in the first place
4: I mean I think there's a pretty prominent stuffed bird in Rocky Horror in the background but it's not like
2: it's not the same it's not like somebody's
4: dragging a dead bird around it's a it's a taxidermied bird yeah, yeah
2: that's very strange Bert wakes up and hits snooze on his micro digital awaker <laughs> he can hear Janet taking a shower in her room and he drops the pretense of being blind and tries to sneak a peek but Dr Nation interrupts him at the last second Later, Janet asks again to speak with Brad, but Cosmo urges her to focus on her television appearance.
0: But what'll I do? What'll I say? Hmm? What'll I wear?
2: Ah! Cosmo sings a sort of Time Warp ripoff song about a little black dress. Janet makes her debut singing on television in her black dress. The song is all about herself and how much confidence she has. In the control room, Farley watches the broadcast and makes weird faces. I think he's ejaculating? Yeah. He smiles at the end <laughs> so they weren't mad faces unless it was an angry <laughs> he's ejaculate.
3: <furiously laughs> ejaculate. He's he's a painful ejaculator. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh
2: God. He's got a kidney stone <laughs> while he's oh, ejaculating. He was, he was, yeah. That's the worst.
3: I'd like to say that uh Janet is backed by Oscar Drill and the Bits. Oh, for this song? For, for this song. Oh, yeah. Okay. Which we, we we formally get introduced to them later, but but we've been seeing them in pieces all throughout the movie. Yeah, because it's
2: the same like hundred people for the whole movie. That's right. After the song, Kirk, the craft services guy, tells Janet's parents that she was really sexy. Betty steps up for a cup of coffee, and he reminds her that she doesn't get free shit since her show was canceled. So go home. Another episode of whatever Dentonvale is starts up. Janet enters Brad's cell to tell him how great she's doing. <laughs> I just wanted to tell you how fabulous I am. The hospital staff bust in to drag her away. Janet is in scrape them off Claire mode. Yeah, very much. Janet's folks seem to speak in Brad's defense now, and Farley laughs in his office watching it all on a screen. They jump into the title song of Shock Treatment, which is okay. It's not the best song in the movie, and you would think that you would name the movie after the best song. Also, no one undergoes shock treatment in this movie, but... No, no one does. That's fine. It's
4: it's not that kind of shock
2: treatment. Oh, it's like getting that kidney stone out. Is that called shock (laughs) treatment? It's shocking treatment. I think what I hate so much about the music in most of this movie is that the songs devolve into a rhyming dictionary chorus, and they're not even especially catchy. Like, so many of them are just like, this rhymes with this, rhymes with this, rhymes with this, rhymes with this. Next line.
3: I like the music, and I like half the songs in this movie. Sure,
2: half, I I would say half is fair. But in the first movie, I like all the songs. (laughs) So I think uh, I think we could be doing better here. Sometime later, the crowd is chanting, we want Janet. We see some footage of the full audience from the beginning of the film, but whenever Janet speaks to the fans, she's talking down to a group of just six people and it looks incredibly cheap. All the musical performances are weirdly low energy too throughout the film. Like the actors were doing an uneasy rehearsal and Sharman just said, cut, print every time. <laughs> various characters we've introduced say words for a few scenes but none of them are relevant or interesting. I had to I had to just tune out a lot of this because so many of these scenes are irrelevant to the overall story and and they they don't even really provide anything interesting.
3: Yeah, Betty and uh, what's his name? The judge, they they are watching every scene and they have a comment about everything at the end of every scene, but right. it doesn't add up to a whole
2: lot. Yeah. Yeah. I think Janet's mom drugs Brad for some reason even though they're the only ones who like him and then he has nightmares. Not interesting ones, just like people say words that, again, don't really have any bearing on the story. And then Janet sings another song. And it's like a long song of her just walking around the halls.
1: Yeah, looking for trade. Yeah. which I
4: don't, Is that a phrase? Is yeah, that, is, is that a is. British thing again?
2: It it's is. A, it has to do with Pokemon. <laughs> it
3: has I don't, to do with poking men.
2: Oh, there you go. Pokemon. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this
3: is also Janet's nightmare because Janet and Brad are both uh, tranquilized at the same time.
2: Oh, okay. Janet wakes up, and someone has let those six audience members into the room where she was sleeping. They say they're a band called Oscar Drill and the Bits because the screenwriter forgot to replace the placeholder band name.
3: (laughs) But Janet does roll her eyes when she hears the name, which is funny.
2: Betty and Judge Wright are dressing as fake medical personnel. So are Ricky and the actual nurse, Janet's parents, and Ralph and Macy. They dance to a song called Look What I Did to My Id. Janet is suddenly having performance anxiety, so they dump pills in her mouth. Betty is still dressed as a nurse and sneaks into an office to do research on Cosmo and Nation. We see that they've been using ex-presidents as pseudonyms for a long time. Harding, Hoover, Coolidge, Fillmore.
0: Oh my God, character actors. I
2: feel like these five presidents names like all fit together in a band. Like mm. they always, they're they like the forgotten, like untalked about presidents. Yes,
3: we are the
2: mediocre
3: presidents. presidents. <laughs> you won't find our names on dollars, dollars or, or, or cents. cents.
2: Next, Betty searches for Farley Flavors, and the file directs her to Brad Major's file. And a microfiche within that announces Farley and Brad are actually twin brothers separated at a young age.
1: Do we need to explain what microfiche is?
2: (laughs) It's a tiny fish. Everybody knows this. Not very satisfying to eat, but good as a pet. We can read in the article that their parents died in the worst auto accident in the greater Denton area. They crashed their Plymouth into a McDonald's truck. The text of the article literally reads, the Plymouth crashed through the increasingly popular golden arches printed on the side of the small truck.
0: Huh.
2: Ralph invites Oscar Drill and the Bits on stage, and they launch into a loud song just as Judge Wright appears and breaks Brad out of his cage. The song is about breaking out, so it fits really well. Right. That's right. During the performance, Oscar Drill looks very uncomfortable and barely moves, but the song is good. Mm-hmm. Like, this is actually one of the better songs. Yep, I agree. But, uh, but it doesn't feel like he's performing it the way... For instance, Tim Curry would have, like, going 100% all out on stage with it. We cut back to Farley's office where he's being interviewed again about DTV's new show. And when Janet walks in, she recognizes him immediately as Brad, as though she hadn't already watched him sing a four-minute song about how great he is Mm earlier. It's like, you saw his face. You knew it was Brad.
3: But she had only seen him on television. This was her first time ever seeing him. So is that the point
2: that it's like television makes you look like a totally different person?
3: It
1: it adds 10 pounds. Yeah.
2: Oh, It's pretty expensive over there. The first episode of Faith Factory begins and Janet is introduced to Host as a character nicknamed Miss Mental Health. Immediately after her, the president is introduced and the cameras all search for the man. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we're supposed to think this is the U.S. president, but if so, the joke only lasts a half second before he takes the podium and introduces himself in an unexpectedly nasally voice as the president of a local car company.
3: Erwin Lapsi Auto. <laughs>
2: <laughs> president of Lapsi Autos.
1: I'm Erwin Lapsi, president of Lapsi Autos.
3: I love this joke because I think The point of the big buildup and his very quick uh, resounding send-off is that he's a real actual sponsor businessman from the real world. Yeah. And Farley Foods owns this whole thing now. He's trying to keep everybody out of it. This is like they're they're placating to this one legitimate businessman.
2: And he just brought in keys to one car. He announces he's gifting Janet a new car. Uh, It's not even a new car. Almost new.
3: Uh, Almost new. (laughs)
2: You get a car and you, no, actually just her. Just one person gets a car. That's how generous I am. Backstage, Judge Wright and Betty try to escort Brad out of the building. In front of the cameras, Bert Schnick is introduced with a special announcement that he has somehow regained his sight. The all-knowing and now (laughs) all-seeing.
1: That's right. Bert Schnick!
2: Next, Farley is called out on stage and he tells the audience that Janet is the future. Suddenly, Brad falls through the backdrop onto the stage. The twins reveal in front of the studio audience that this has been a lifelong revenge plot because Brad was sent to a good home and Farley wasn't. The twins sing probably the worst song back and forth, and for some reason, the Brad side of Clifty Young was instructed not to sing anything, so he just says the lyrics in the most droll, boring voice he can manage. We lost our mom. We lost our dad. And if I'm losing you, well, that's too bad. Farley calls Brad crazy and orders him and Janet out of the studio. The audience applauds his every move. With Janet effectively fired, Farley promotes Macy to the host position of his new show. Neely Pritt is upset because she thought she'd be up for the spot. Brad, Janet, Wright, and Betty sing a song about how they're going to keep doing something. They're going to keep doing it. They don't specify what. The lyrics don't make it any clearer. They're just... Some people do it for so, money and yep. some do it for other things. Some We're going to do it on do the it. pavement. Yeah. We're just going to keep doing it. Whatever it is you do.
1: Let's do it. Let's, Let's fall, fall in, love. in love.
2: We get a montage of all the characters we've seen doing random things. Lots of the audience are locked in Brad's cage. The protagonists, I guess, drive Janet's car out of the showroom, and the narrator voice comes back with some words of wisdom The sun never sets on those who ride into it. Unless they're traveling in excess of a thousand miles per hour, then yes it will. <laughs>
1: uh, well and, and I don't I don't know how they got the keys to the car because the McKinley not they give it to them? No. No, oh. because the McKinleys make a point is like, well, we're walking away with this with a new car. Well yeah. we do see Cosmo's Judge Wright
2: like... slam the slam the hood, so I think they hotwired it. Yeah. Mm. The, the the band hotwired it. Okay. Yeah. And they all drove off together. Yeah. They they took the band with them. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Yeah. So yeah. they're good guys too. That's right. And that's the end of the film. That's shock treatment, everybody. Shocking. What did you think? Equal, would you say, to Rocky Horror Picture oh, Show? Oh,
4: no, we're no. close. Not even close.
1: I I thought I was going to hate this movie going into it.
0: And you, and were, you right. were right. <laughs> that was right. Oh, no, I actually...
2: <laughs> the, the only thing I do like is Nell Campbell. Like, she's just adorable and everything. And yeah. I don't know if I'm just saying that, because, like, I've only seen Rocky Horror Picture Show twice before watching it for this episode. And both times it was in theaters for midnight shows. And both times the girl that took me to it practically (laughs) against my will happened to be playing Columbia (laughs) in the, in the stage show during the thing. So it's just like, I've always had a special place for the Columbia's and, uh, and she's just so cute. And I love it when she's doing her silly, like high pitched voices in this. Yeah. But, uh, and obviously, Birchnick is just fucking great. Like, every every line delivery Hoopla, Janet! Yeah. yeah, I just love so this bizarre. voice that he's doing. It cracks me up every time he says anything.
1: But he almost seems like a character that uh, Andy Kaufman would have played. Right, yeah. No, yeah. It's,
2: it's a very developed thing that yeah. it feels like he has a whole background to it. But his motions, the faces he makes, like, like, there's one moment where he's, like, sitting at the table with them and he jams an apple in his mouth and he's just like, ha, ha, ha. laughing and just spitting up all over them it's just everything he does is is amusing at least yeah
3: if if tim curry would have been able to return i think he would have made a great birch Schnitt. or or also cosmo mckinley
2: yeah well i uh barry boswick said that if tim curry had come back that he would have he would have agreed to play Brad. He would have course, made it work. Of course. Um I don't think they would have gotten Susan Sarandon back, so I think it'd still be weird.
4: I think that if they had gotten him, it needed to just be a totally different story right. than this. Sure. Because, you yeah. know, you needed you needed to maintain
3: You need Frankenfurter back if Tim Curry's there too. Right? Yeah, you
4: needed to maintain the characters mm. yeah, in some yeah. way. Or, you know, or at least alluded to that they're the same characters in a different situation where it's just unclear what this is supposed to be. And I think that was the thing that threw me off. Uh and, and and after having heard that it was related to the fact that they changed the shooting locations I think it makes a lot more sense now of why this was
2: why they did it pretty this way.
4: nonsensical I think right. it would have made a little bit more sense if they had actually been yeah going around because town.
2: in Denton they had already figured out like the hospital they would shoot at they figured out a school they would shoot at they figured out stores wow. and like the the kitchen song where they're singing about appliances they're yeah. supposed to be walking around a kitchen
4: I I I was so confused by wrapping this all up into the concept of a singular movie or or TV show, yeah. Yeah. multiple TV shows in mm-hmm. the same location. I could not figure out what was happening in this movie. Yeah, it it had its moments. You know, there were some things. There was a, there were some good songs. It wasn't completely awful, but it just it it just had it did it didn't have any of the charm of Rocky Horror. Right, and it didn't have a cohesive story. And it didn't have great performances like Rocky Horror. I,
2: I think they just ran into insurmountable technical and financial difficulties yeah. to the point that they were like SAG screwed them basically on this one. And and this movie might have come together and, and been shot in a town and felt a little bit more like the first movie, but the way things happened, they had to make it look like it, it feels very um, claustrophobic. Claustrophobic, but also very sterile. Like. Mm. Um, it it doesn't feel very organic. It doesn't feel like real people because the whole thing looks like you know you shot this in the in the room where they're inventing Wonka Vision.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's the the sets aren't nearly as interesting as Rocky Horror Picture yeah. Show.
2: Yeah, and and the blocking and staging for all the musical numbers is really boring. Like they don't yeah. they don't go crazy with it.
1: Yeah, there's some interesting like they have some interesting looks sometimes, like you know. But when you have a a padded cell. And it's white padding it's just like i just feel like yeah, i'm what kind avoid. of a background is this yeah
3: yeah so i like the movie <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I i still agree with everything that you all have said but i still like it because it's the the story itself is so is still very prescient it yes absolutely it, it feels like a strange comedic version of network of 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 the the movie net, net network to me um i I do like I feel ha- Like Network is actually
2: pretty comedic on its own. <laughs> it
3: is. It is but but like this is more broad comedy yeah, yeah, yeah. but still very niche too cuz like not everybody could laugh at the things in here.
2: Sure, yeah. Uh but I like half
3: the the songs in this uh the breakout song from from Oscar Drill and and the bits uh is is uh very sad to listen to because they're talking about how uncomfortable they are. Right. And they are fans of Janet throughout the whole story. Right. And they wind up helping her to escape at the end.
2: And from what I heard, that the original full version of the song ends with Ralph Hapshack coming out and and coming out as gay. Yeah. Oh wow. And and you don't hear so much of the song because it's being cut over this whole escape plan. Wow. But on the on the album, it actually has the full lyrics and and the whole yeah. conclusion of the song. Well, yeah, because wow.
1: they're talking about coming out of the clo- breaking right. out of the closet. And, yeah. yeah.
2: But but this whole time, Betty thought that Ralph was cheating on her. Mm -hmm. with this other woman and and he's just gay it it had nothing to do with him cheating on her it was him coming to a realization about himself that is and it's interesting because because he's the only actor who came back from the first film to play the same character then that makes it feel more like this is that actual character from the beginning and this whole franchise starts with a gay guy getting married to a woman and it just feels more fitting for the rocky horror picture show continuity that that's that's what's happening at the beginning of that movie yeah this was my third time seeing the movie
3: and and jesse i never understood it uh so well until this time it took me a long time to figure out that denton is a real town outside of this studio but they usher in citizens from the town for 24 hours yeah to process them and either put them on the air or 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 lock them away yeah so it took me a long time to realize that because the movie yeah it's not made very well and it's very confusing
4: yeah, it's I feel strange. like
2: I'm still not even sure that that's what's happening.
4: <laughs> this was, and this was my first time seeing it, which yeah. is, is kind of shocking because of what a huge fan I am of Rocky Horror. Um, but I was just, you know, like I, I, I was, I was so unsure of what was happening, you know, if it was like a Truman Show version of that's of, what it feels like, you know. But it, I couldn't tell who was in on it and who right. wasn't in
1: on it. It it also felt like it was trying to be very damning of television as a whole like i feel
2: like it wasn't damning enough though yeah. i I, I, do, I do feel like there's supposed to be some television criticism there
3: i think it's damning the
2: audience more than anything
3: right and, and the sponsors yeah
1: it's 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 like it's like oh you you know you've been so polluted your mind's been so polluted by this television that that you have to go to an asylum that we are sponsoring as part of right, the show yeah. right like it's like oh i that, that's a, that's like you know bart with the oh, when i grew up i want to go to the betty ford clinic yeah right <laughs>
2: I want to go to Bovine University. <laughs> <laughs> Lisa is a great <laughs> Um, Yeah, what are we thinking? Thumbs?
4: You know, I I think that I'll give it I'll give it a thumbs up because I would watch it again I will just too. to just to try to understand it better to hear the music again. I think that there's 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 something to it, um, even if it just didn't have a. A great first impression. Right. Um, and there's people that I would definitely recommend it to.
2: Absolutely, yeah. And I, I do think going back through it that I would probably like the music more if I heard more. Yeah. You know. That sometimes songs just take a few lessons before yeah, you're hooked on them. Exactly. But there there's plenty here that, that I was interested in right off the bat. But that like bitchin' in the kitchen is a, is a fun song, but they're not in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't make sense the way that it ended up getting shot. So it's very strange.
1: Uh, it's a thumbs down for me. <laughs> right. uh, I I don't have any huge love for the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh okay. Um, I've seen it, and I, okay, you know, uh, I, I I don't I don't get the huge draw, like weekly showing still going on. And I
2: think I think it's just because it's it's early musical camp um, that was that was far reaching, and with people who went on to do. Things that, that right. you still know well, like most of the time when there's these campy movies, they're they're not populated by people who went on to a lot of acclaim after that. True. And so when you have Tim Curry and Susan Sarandon in this movie and, and Meatloaf, Meatloaf yeah. and all these people, who it's like I know who all those people are, and they're doing this completely ridiculous batshit movie.
1: Well, it's also very progressive. Right. Like, exactly. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah there's yeah. So, so there's so much to it. Yeah. So I, I appreciate it on those levels, but uh, uh, but I'm like. It's like you know, Rocky Picture. I have no interest in in watching it anytime soon. Uh, and this movie, again, wow. I'm also not interested in watching it again. Yeah. Anytime I literally soon.
4: would watch it anytime, <laughs> absolutely anytime. The first one. The first one. Yeah, yeah. So that's. I, it's just interesting that you don't you don't have the same draw to that movie. I it, I think it's so appealing <laughs> in so <laughs> many ways.
2: I did think rewatching it for for this review that it was slower than I remembered it mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. there there are some pacing. Problems with it, well, but the songs are so great and the performances are so great that you can kind of see past it.
4: I wonder. Yeah, I mean, like the dinner scene and stuff are, are kind of are kind of slow, but mm-hmm. it, it maybe it's because you know ninety percent of the times that I've watched it, it's been in a with a theater audience, mm. you know, and so there's there's an energy and excitement and and, and, and a participation yeah. element to yes. it, and and so it's never. It, it it's never boring
1: then. Yeah, I've, I've only ever watched it on my own. Oh yeah, if you if well, you that's, watch it, that's if you watch silly. it with
2: a, I I mean like I'm not usually the first person to defend the theater going experience because I've had a lot of bad ones, but. Um, that is something that I've, I've definitely enjoyed more, seeing it in a crowd where people are throwing shit at the screen and shouting lines along with the movie, and you're supposed to.
4: All right, Richard, I'm going to drag you along, but you got to dress up.
1: Oh, oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> and they're going to draw God. on your forehead, too. <laughs> oh, no, I don't like any of this. <laughs>
2: Just say you've been there before, and they won't write on you. Yeah, then they won't. No, that's no, true. if
4: you haven't been there before, you have to go between the legs of all the cast members, and they spank you.
3: Oh dear God! I wanted, I wanted Richard to say, "Okay, I'm in."
1: I'm in. I, I'm like, I'm literally sweating because my social anxiety is just like
3: kicking in hardcore. All right, Patrick, what do you think? I give this a thumbs up. What? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. No wonder. Uh, yeah. Um. Uh. I I consider myself more a fan of the Rocky Horror Show. I love the music from the original stage productions. Oh, okay. And the the original Ro- Roxy cast recording is yeah. incredible. That's that, the first LA production. Yeah, the 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 first LA production that originally LA run when Meatloaf played uh Dr. Scott and Eddie. Oh, that's awesome. It's so much fun. Mm. The movie by comparison to me is a drag. Really? Yeah. Mm. Drag. Uh so Tim Curry is still great and Columbia and Magenta are still great and Riff Raff is still great, but like everybody else, not not strong
2: singers. I always feel like Magenta in in Rocky Horror doesn't get enough to do because like riff raff is like the lead villain and then they both kind of disappear for a big chunk of time toward the end for a little um i just felt like she got shortchanged in that movie yeah she gets more to do in this one though i think so the music
3: in shock treatment reminds me more of the original stage production music of rocky horror show okay it's a little bit more uh, uh boogie woogie pop yeah. And the music in the, the the Rocky Horror Picture Show was adapted to be more contemporary disco rock. And it's a little slower. Because it's 75. Because so, it's 1975. It's a little slower than, than the original stage version, so I don't like it as much. These songs are a little quicker. They're a little more, I don't know, whatever. Uh, they the, the, These songs appeal to be more in this version than the movie, that, which people keep comparing it to. But I like this for what it is, just because it's so... Um, Spiteful about popular culture and entertainment. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I I wonder if um, there were unused songs that were written for the Revenge of the Old Queen, like that have the Sunny as a rock star. Oh, yeah, maybe. Like it feels like they would have at least outlined some songs, if not actually like put something to to lyrics. Sure. Um, But this gets a thumbs up from me because. It's got it. has got enough going for it that I th- I think it's worth watching. I just I don't I don't think it's great. I don't think uh, that it's as good as the first one. But um, but I just for for uh, Bert and for uh, what Anselong uh-huh. <laughs> nurse yes. nurse, Anselong. nurse Anselong um the two of them. Uh, make it worth it for me. I actually really don't like the performances from Jessica Harper or Clifty Young in this oh, movie. I love Jessica Harper in this. I, I love Jessica Harper. I just feel like in this, she was out of her element. It just She just feels uncomfortable in the role okay, for yeah. the whole time. And Clifty Young is not bringing any energy to this part. Like, even when he's screaming lyrics, he <laughs> looks bored. <laughs> I like him as
3: Farley Flavors, but as Brad, it's just like, th- th- there's not enough for Brad to do in this. So right, which is why really it had to be a split role. Yeah, like, sure. They
2: wouldn't have, there's no way they would have let somebody just play this guy who's, who spends the entire movie in a cage with a gag. Good point. All right. So what are we thinking for letterboxed on shock treatment?
4: Uh, I have it at 86. Okay. It's below Chariots of Fire and above Kill and Kill Again.
1: All right. Uh, I have it at 108, uh, which puts it below Silence of the North and above
2: The Four Seasons. <laughs> it's just like, Silence of the North, what the hell is that? <laughs> it was like four <laughs> movies ago and I already <laughs> forgot it. <laughs> Uh, Shock Treatment, I have it in 113, which is Under the Pit and just above Full Moon High. Our writer, director, and a lot of the music came from Jim Sharman. He also wrote and directed Rocky Horror Picture Show. He worked mostly in theater, directing after that. Uh, His next directing credit was 30 years later for something called Andy X, as far as films go. The writer here was Richard O'Brien who also plays Dr. Cosmo McKinley. He was Riff Raff in Rocky Horror. He's also Pierre Le Pew in Ever After and Mr. Hand in Dark City. We've seen him most recently as Fico or Fico, I can't remember, in Flash Gordon. He has lots of voice credits, particularly on Phineas and Ferb. (laughs) Um, Lots of Phineas and Ferb voice credits. And uh, O'Brien readily admits that this film is a bit of a mess, but that he's proud of the music and of predicting reality television so early. The other music credit here is for Richard Hartley. We've heard his work so far in Bad Timing, A Sensual Obsession, a movie we recently discovered Jesse has completely wiped from her memory. Uh, he also composes- Wait, movie? Uh, <laughs> Bad Timing, <laughs> Sensual Obsession. Do you remember we had this conversation like a week ago where you're like, I've never heard of that. Yeah. You're like, oh, no, Harvey Keitel no, and Art Garfunkel, <laughs> and you're like, none of this is ringing yeah. the bell.
3: Oh, the Art Garfunkel
2: movie. Yeah. yeah,
1: that's the spy thriller one, right?
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah with the cg uh, wolves remember no what no just making shit up now <laughs> that
1: was the day after tomorrow <laughs>
2: all right um hartley also composes stealing beauty and the life and death of peter sellers cinematographer here was mike malloy he previously dp'd the kidnapping of the president for us uh, not much else i recognized the editor here was richard bedford who previously cut the great rock and roll swindle but nothing else i was familiar with uh, Jessica Harper is Janet Majors. She's in Suspiria, Phantom of the Paradise, Minority Report. We've seen her so far in Stardust Memories, and she's back later this season in Pennies from Heaven.
0: Yeah.
4: She reminded me so much of um, a cross between Janine Garofalo and Stocker Channing.
2: Ooh, sure, yeah. I see that, too. They're child together. Yeah. Cliff Young is Brad Majors and Farley Flavors. He was originally planned for the role of Brad in Rocky Horror, as I mentioned before. He also shows up in Glory, The Hunger, The Craft, but I always think of the dad from Flight of the Navigator. Mm. Uh, He later performed with the original Janet, playing a couple in 1983's The Hunger. And this was also his second time working with Jessica Harper after a stage production of Hair together. Oh. And apparently there's a story about uh, one particular performance of Hair where someone brought, like, brownies or something to the stage and everybody ate them and thought they were just brownies and they weren't, and they had to do the whole show like that. Oh, boy. I think it was like they were on mushrooms and they were freaking out. Good God. Patricia Quinn played Dr. Nation McKinley. She's magenta in Rocky Horror. Mrs. Williams in The Meaning of Life, the Monty Python film. I think she's part of that uh, Can You Find the Fish? Oh, that <laughs> sequence? Yeah, I think she's in there. A fish, a fish. A fishy, a fishy, a fishy, Oh. Charles Gray played Judge Oliver Wright. He was the criminologist in Rocky Horror Picture Show. He's Blofeld in Diamonds Are Forever, but before that he was a Bond ally in You Only Live Twice. We saw him last as Bates the butler in The Mirror Cracked. Right, the character from You Only Live Twice is a Good Guy, right?
1: Um, I'm trying to remember. who. I, I definitely obviously remember him from Diamonds Are Forever. I just
2: remember there's a scene where he goes and he meets with him in a tent. And then when we were watching the marathon, we talked about how, oh, he's going to come back and play Blofeld in the next movie. And he, was a, he seemed like he was a good guy. Mm. Ruby Wax plays Betty Hapshat. We just had her as Bunty in Chariots of Fire. She voiced Bettina Bott on Count Ducula. She was previously uncredited as the U.S. Ambassador Secretary in Omen 3, The Final Conflict, where she is cruelly pranked into causing her boss's suicide when he rigs a shotgun to his office door. Like he's like, come <laughs> yeah. on in and She opens the door <laughs> and it blows his head off. Wow. Nell Campbell played Nurse Anselong, she was Columbia in Rocky Horror, Beth in the Killing Fields, and Erica Thrall in Great Expectations. Rick Mayall played Rest Home Ricky, he's best known for The Young Ones or Drop Dead Fred. We've seen him so far in Eye of the Needle and An American Werewolf in London already this season. Barry Humphreys played Bert Schnick. He based his physicality of the character on Werner Krauss's Doctor Caligari from Robert Wine's nineteen twenty film. Uh, he's probably best known for his many performances as Dame Edna. He even appears as the character in Howling 3. He played Mr. Sourberry, the coffin maker, in the stage performances of Oliver. He's also Kevin Maxford in Spice World. He's the voice of Bruce the Shark in Finding mm-hmm. Nemo. Fish are friends, not food. Except stinking
1: dolphins. Dolphins! Yeah, it's such a great pairing of if him, uh, Bruce Spence, and Eric Bana. <laughs>
2: yeah. Oh, yeah. Is Barry Humphrey's Australian? I guess he is Australian.
1: He, he must be if he was.
2: Because all the sharks are Australian in that scene or mm-hmm. they're speaking with Australian accents. It's just interesting to, that you would play Dame Edna. Yeah.
1: yeah. born okay. Melbourne.
3: Barry Humphreys was also the voice of the goblin uh, Forest King in one of the Hobbit movies.
2: Oh, right. The, the new ones, the Peter Jackson yeah. ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we also just lost him a couple weeks back. That's yeah. right. He, uh, he passed away due to complications from hip surgery. Manning Redwood played Harry Weiss, Janet's father. He's Bob Convy in A View to a Kill. He's General Miller and Never Say Never Again. We've already seen him this year in Outland and as a forest ranger in The Shining, which we already observed is the perfect job for a guy named Manning Redwood.
0: <laughs> forest
2: ranger. Jeremy Newsom played Ralph Hapshatt. He's the only actor to come back as the same character from Rocky Horror. Not a lot else on the IMDb there. Betsy Brantley played Neely Pritt. This was her first credit. She's also credited as the mother in Princess Bride. Is that the mother of? Uh, Fred Savage. Fred, Fred Savage, Savage. Yeah, yeah. Okay. walks in for a moment. I was wow. going to say she's barely in it then. Yeah. Uh, she also shows up in Schizopolis, Deep Impact, and Double Jeopardy. Christopher Malcolm played Vance Parker. We saw him last as Rebel Force Zev, Rogue Two, in Empire Strikes Back. He's also a guard in the prison laundry in Superman II, a baker in the Dogs of War, and he's back later this season for Ragtime and Reds. So he lives in the UK for sure. Totally. Because everybody who's in Ragtime and Reds lives in the UK. And is in Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> and is in Empire Strikes Back and is in Superman 2. Later, he appears in Labyrinth as Father and Highlander as Kirk Matunas. He was also Brad Majors in the 1973 stage production. Oh, cool. Yeah, so he's the one playing the, the security guard. Barry Denon played Erwin Lapsy, the car dealership owner or whatever. <laughs> uh, I guess he's the actual, owns the, the car company. He's right? the president of the motor company. Yeah, <laughs> uh, so it's not just the dealership. Uh, he's the voice of Chamberlain in The Dark Crystal. He's Mendel in Fiddler on the Roof and Pontius Pilate in Jesus Christ Superstar. Wow, yeah. he's uh, Chamberlain? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm, <laughs> delicious. That was <laughs> <Now's> my
3: time.
2: <laughs> he has lots of voice acting credits on television and in video games. And we saw him last season as Watson in The Shining. That's the guy. He works at the hotel and he kind of hates Stuart Ullman that's giving the talk to. Uh, oh, yeah. Mm, He's yeah. the
3: one that leads him into the office. Yeah. 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 And gives him side eye the whole time. Right,
2: exactly. Imogen Clare played Wardrobe Mistress. She was Dorothy Trent in The Lair of the White Worm, and she plays a Transylvanian in Rocky Horror. Donald Waugh played Glish Davidson. He's Snake Eyes in Bugsy Malone and Romer in Kelly's Heroes. David John played Bit Drummer. He's Ernest Little in Chariots of Fire earlier this season. Gary Martin was Bit Guitarist. He's the voice of the rock chewer in NeverEnding Story 3, and lots of cartoon and video game characters after that, but nobody I was super familiar with. Sinitta played Frankie. She's a British singer and former fiancé of human garbage Simon Cowell. Her mother, Mikkel Brown, allegedly played a reporter somewhere in the Daily Planet offices in Superman 2 earlier this season. So a lot of their history seems to be cagey online. For example, some sources list disco soul singer Amy Stewart as her aunt, but her mother's wiki says they were just friends. It's like, they're not sisters or stepsisters? Sonata also has a twin sister named Greta, who, according to Wikipedia, was born four years before her. Which is the longest labor I've ever
0: heard of?
2: <laughs> More likely, they're fudging their ages, as was the way of the world at the time. Raynor Borton played Soldier. He's a male prostitute in Outland. I assume that's one of the naked guys dancing in a hologram circle in the in the bar. Uh, he also played Rocky in the 1973 stage production. So oh, cool! We have Rocky and Brad returning. Gay Brown played DTV audience member. Gabe Brown is also Sophisto in A Clockwork Orange, a Pie customer in Burton's Sweeney Todd, and a Transylvanian in Rocky Horror Picture Show. Lindsay Ingram played a DTV audience member, she's also a Transylvanian. Annabelle Leventon, DTV audience member, also a Transylvanian. And Sal Perot played Guy on Payphone. He's the president of the National Rocky Horror Fan Club, and we saw him last as the Rocky Horror MC in fame when they dragged the kid to the show at Times Square, the Times Square performance. I think that's everything for shock treatment. If you have any thoughts you'd like to share, you can find all our socials at linktree slash vintagevideopod. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing Circle of Two, which IMDb describes like so the story of the impossible love between a schoolgirl and a 60 year old painter. Circle of Two. So sweet. With Richard Burton and Tatum O'Neill. Oh, my as God. As a couple. Wow love it anyway here's the trailer for gross
3: hello there are
0: those your horses
1: no just friends
4: i wasn't sure you'd come
0: i always come when i'm by myself what are you doing to the tree
4: this is to keep the rabbits from the bark
0: cardboard will keep them away
4: well it isn't the brandenburg concertos i don't get it well the story goes that bach dedicated the concertos to the Margrave of Brandenburg, who not only never had them performed, but gave the manuscripts to
0: his gardener to save his trees from the rabbits. Ach, that Bach, he tastes so good!